everyone. Welcome to another episode of Going Live with Good Soil. Uh, Emmett is off this week. He's traveling. So we are pleased to be joined by Yashu Sharma. Yashu, thanks so much for joining us. Honored to, uh, honored to be back. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so, you know, before we jump into it, for those listening on, on Twitter spaces, um, just a, a reminder of some disclosures. This is not investment advice. Uh, Yashu and I are just giving our own opinions on things. Um, none of this is, is uh, financial advice or investment advice of, of any kind. Uh, so please do your own research and make your own decisions. Uh, we're, again, just doing this to try to uh, open source our, our research and our thinking as much as possible. So um, with that said, uh, let's jump into so, some mar macro market news. Um, you know, I think the, the big development lately um, yeah, over the weekend, Yashu, was, you know, there was all this, this kind of pressure for the, the Build Back Better bill. Uh, we need a couple more bees in there, I think, to, to make it you know, <laughs> just more, more ridiculous. Um, and then Senator Manchin came out basically uh, saying he was not going to vote for it. And so the bill is you know, potentially scrapped. Maybe it'll be passed mm -hmm. in some different version next year. Um, markets obviously crashed pretty hard yesterday, uh, continuing a, a, a stream of red in, in December. What's your take on, on how big of an impact, uh, if any, that, that um, Senator Manchin's uh, reticence here is impacting markets? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, on on one on one side, I'm kind of torn, right? Because I think the EV credit disproportionately helps legacy auto, and we've had this conversation before. Mm -hmm. How you know we think it's 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 kind of make or break for them to have this credit in order for them to even turn a profit. Uh, on the other end, uh, you know, I do think when with macro uncertainty like that, or when something gets priced in to a degree, I think towards the end of October, middle October and November, I think we were seeing a lot of this kind of being priced in the markets. Well, okay, this is going to get passed. And then, you know, there's going to be this many, uh, this much more, you know, economy growth based on this or inflation is going to dampen based on this. And, and, you know, we talk about legacy auto and how I guess they were kind of projecting for this to happen. Tesla started raising prices, I guess, in anticipation for this. And so when this kind of gets last minute torn up, um, I guess that brings some sort of level of uncertainty to the market where, um, you know, now people have to revisit their thesis a little bit, maybe pull back. So in the shorter term, I guess I understand why, um, you know, there was a broader market pullback, you know, legacy auto Tesla has been kind of ripped up since then as well. But in the long haul, I mean, if, if we want to talk about EV growth, Tesla doesn't need this EV credit, uh, whereas legacy autos, like I said, do. So, yeah, a little bit on both sides on my end. Yeah. The, the funny thing to me is, is you know, ahead of this, you know, I think everybody was expecting the, the bill to pass this year. Um, and, and markets were falling kind of in anticipation of this because they're saying, OK, you, you've got so much federal debt and this is going to only kind of increase the, you know, the, the deficit spending. And so the government's going to have to, you know, print more debt and then that's going to cause kind of, you know, inflationary pressure. So you had a lot of kind of macro concern on, on um, you know, the, the monetary policy side um, related to kind of interest rates rising, which, of course, hurts growth stocks. Um, so it's kind of strange that markets were falling on that concern. And then if, if you're concerned about that, you should really not want the bill to pass. Right. Because <laughs> that. Um, uh, st stops kind of deficit spendings fr uh, from from increasing, uh, and so you've got the potentially out, not not the entire rem maybe remedy is too strong of a word, but you've got something of a remedy for you know um, interest rate rising uh, concerns by you know not having so much government spending, uh, and then at the same time the markets fall because they kind of want that you know the, that extra you know a little gasoline on, on the economy and. Uh, things really priming it. So it's kind of confusing to me or, or just strange that, you know, markets are falling kind of on both sides of, of, yeah. of this line, this tightrope uh, walk that the, the federal government's been pulling here. Uh, yeah, that's a great way to put it. I, I think what economists were saying, and again, you know, as someone who studied, econ uh, you know, economics, you know, you can ask three econ economists for an answer and you'll get five different answers. Right. <laughs> but 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 I think the but, you know, I think kind of the concern here or I, I guess what they're hoping for was with the BBB, you know, the velocity of money was going to increase. Now, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, yes, there's more there's more money out there. But, you know, how much how often it, it, it interchanges hands was going to increase. So. You know, it's it's I, I we're in this kind of predicament at this point where, you know, 
uh, all classic theory is out the window. No one really knows. It's unprecedented territory where we're sitting at with how much money is being printed with cryptocurrencies now on the forefront of everyone's mind. And we're, it, it's, it's, it's interesting and super cool to be a part of this generation of investing, but it's also kind of concerning because we don't have a roadmap of what's, what's kind of ahead as well. Yeah. So, and, and with more money than ever kind of entering the markets and the amount of like, you know, f- the, f- the amount of FIAT, the, the amount of M1, M2 in the market is just, it's absurd. But if you look at where that money has to go, it has to go somewhere. It's not going to be sitting around. So, you know, these are questions that I think no one is prepared to fully have to grasp all the nuances of and, and figure out every single answer to a T. But I guess that's what makes our, our kind of videos exciting is because we can, you know, hypothesize on these sort of things. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's an exciting time. A um, cu- couple quick house uh, housekeeping notes uh, for anyone who's listening on Twitter Spaces. Uh, Yashu may be sharing his screen at some point, so you may want to hop over to YouTube. We'll do our best to uh, kind of explain what's going on verbally, so you can hear that. But uh, if you if you do want to see any any screen shares, hop over to YouTube. Um, and then just a reminder: if you have any questions or, or topics you'd like us to dig into, put them in the notes or put them in the in the chat, and uh, and we'll we'll try to do our best to get to those. Um, so Yashu, I do completely kind of agree with you that this is unprecedented territory. Um, I, I've been thinking a lot about that lately, actually, you know, I, hmm. even just kind of like my core finance 101, uh, you know, theory, um, I, I'm kind of increasingly just wanting to throw out the window. Um, I mean, kind of, <laughs> kind of like the bedrock of valuation and everything that I, I learned in school. And then as a practitioner, when I was doing it, you know, valuation work. And investment banking work in the in the real world was like the, the capital asset pricing model, mm-hmm. uh, which has a couple key assumptions that I think are like don't almost not applicable to today. Uh, one <laughs> of which is that like you need a risk free rate um, to uh, price any any asset, um, mm-hmm. and the basically U.S. Treasuries are that risk free uh, asset, um, which I like. I, I think it's increasingly <laughs> a tenuous assumption to say that there's zero risk of like a, a US default or something like that. Now, granted, you know, probably they'll they'll just print more money rather than actually default. Um, but I wouldn't call those securities risk free uh, by any stretch. Mm. Um, and then, you know, another one is, is, you know, there's this concept of the equity risk premium, which is, you know, how many how much um, have stocks returned historically? Um, and so, you know, I would, I remember when I was working in valuation, I would literally go to this, this book. Um, I think it was like from the risk management Institute or something like that. It had every single monthly return from the stock market from like 1920 or something like that up to the current month. And so you would just average in the new month and that would be your new kind of, um, market return. Um, and then you'd subtract the the risk-free rate from that, uh, to, to, to develop your, uh, equity rate. But in looking at like the pace of technology and, and the stuff that Tesla's doing and, and you know, like the, the, the potential advent of artificial intelligence to kind of drastically increase productivity. And, and um, I, I would suggest the, the return profile for um, um, some winners in this in, in the new economy. Uh, it, it seems likely to me that returns from the past hundred years will be a lot lower potentially than returns in the next hundred years. Um, and then if yeah. that's true, then that, you know, like that whole capital asset pricing model is, is like almost thrown out the window. And so you've got this new paradigm that's uncharted and you'll need new formulas and new kind of theories to, to, uh, survive in this new world. Um, yeah. but I, I haven't heard too many people talking about that. What, what's your take on, on, you know, things changing potentially in a way that's unprecedented and, and hard to uh, really fathom. <laughs> you would definitely know more than I when it comes to the nuances and, and detailed calculations. But it's funny, like someone one day had created the CAPM model and someone had created, you know, these all these models that we talk about. And I guess we're getting a little bit philosophical here. But yeah, with 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 new technology, with new paradigms comes new models. And 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 your model is only good as good as your assumptions. Right. And as we move forward, you're right. Something like something as I guess, you know, simple and basic to maybe people like us watching or, you know, I guess maybe uh, a little bit more, I guess, looking basic is crypto. Right. For example, we, I guess, get crypto. Obviously, we don't get all the nuances of it, but we understand crypto versus, mm-hmm. you know, let's say like my grandparents. And so, right, like my grandparents in their age would have that model. And now you're like you're saying, there's all these new variables that enter the markets. It's going to be interesting. And, and you know, I, you know, 
we're in this, it's probably the best time to probably go through education and then come through on the other end and see how different things is. That was one of the experiences I had was, <laughs> was like the, I guess the stark contrast between what's taught and what the real world models are actually dictating is mm -hmm. that Delta has probably never been higher than it is now. So, um, in, to a degree that's almost beneficial to you because you can, you kind of get hit in the head with like, listen, this is not, this is not worth the paper it's written on, but that in and of itself might be the learning experience for a lot of people that go through, or even teachers and professors that, you know, as they teach today. So yeah, it's interesting times ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a really interesting, uh, comment. I mean, I, I had, uh, I remember I was taking, when I was doing my MBA, I had a, uh, professor who was a, like a finance PhD. And so he would have us model all these, these, you know, companies, um, but he would spend zero time like talking about the operations of a, of a company and he would spend mm. all his time about like, okay, you need to update with today's, you know, like the current cutting edge, uh, um, like debt rate. And so like, pull, here's how you pull like this very specific like piece of data uh, so that your, you know, your formal formulas are like theoretically correct and perfect. And it was like, I was like, you know, so much, uh, yet there's such a, a lack of wisdom in how you're kind of applying it. Like it would be, it would be impossible for him to generate alpha, I believe, because uh, mm. he, he was taking no time to really understand um like the companies that that he was valuing i mean it was it was really just an academic exercise in the most literal mm. yeah, <laughs> sense, yeah. sense of it for him and it's uh i i think the the edge that you're going to have in in today's market is really on the information side and kind of seeing around the corner to what's going to be the trend five ten years from now i think it's going to mm. be much less on oh i you know bought something that should be you know priced at 102 and i picked it up at 101 so i'm like i'm, mm. I'm gonna generate alpha i don't think that's uh gonna be like a, a long sustainable advantage in, in today's market for sure and you know that ties into a i had kind of had this thought last week i was passing by a hospital and uh i was i was looking at a couple of nurses outside smoking and i just kind of <laughs> i kind of had and, and to be honest i think the high one of the highest smoke rates per occupation is nurses because how stressed they mm -hmm. are and I had this realization where it was kind of analogous to investing, where I guess the, the person that maybe knows the most, you know, understands the most models, you know, can hypothesize the best, doesn't always make the best investor because mm -hmm. just because they know doesn't mean they translate into 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 what they act on uh, or how they act emotionally, let's say. And I kind of had that I kind of had that realization where it's like, I guess knowing and being able to understand is not the same as being able to, in your, just like you said, generate alpha in the market. So, mm -hmm. you know, some lesson there in, in there for me, kind of my brain hits me with these random thoughts every now and then. And I was like, well, something, something to think about there. Cause you know, obviously the nurses know best. They see, you know, cancer patients, uh, people coming in with, with, you know, that have been smoking their whole lives yet. They're out here smoking on their breaks, like chain smoking. What's, what's the kind of chasm here that we have to cross. So yeah, I mean, there's something there. Yeah, it, it is funny. I, mean, I remember I had a doctor's appointment one time and, and my regular doctor wasn't there. And so I had a, just like a, this this other doctor who was like incredibly obese and he was asking me about my diet and if I was taking care of myself. And I was like, there's nothing wrong with your questions, but you do have a, a bit of a credibility issue when mm. when like you, you're not necessarily practicing what you preach. So um, yeah. it's kind of interesting. So, um, you know, I think speaking of markets, obviously, December has been been rough. I think one of the things I haven't heard people talking about too much is, you know, kind of the, the potential for window dressing and and um, some tax loss harvesting and, and that sort of thing. What's your take on, on you know, to what extent that uh, that factor is playing into the markets here and as we get into late December? So to begin quarter four, I think October 1st, Tesla opened at 778-ish bucks. Don't quote me on that exactly, but I think it's close enough. So as Tesla sits here at 907 right now as we talk, there's some alpha to be generated there. If you're a fund, let's say, out there that hadn't have bought in Tesla or sold Tesla prior to quarter four and wants to show that they, hey, you know, we were holding Tesla. Hey, look at us. We generated a couple, you know, we generated a couple hundred bucks worth of alpha here, let's say, uh, or, you know, 150 bucks worth of alpha by, by the time it's all said and done. So I think quadru after quadruple witching is usually when I talk, I start talking more about window dressing uh, being more of a factor. Just because a lot of the funds rebalancing is kind of out the window now. We don't have to worry about that. Um, you know, contracts have been rolled when it comes to futures. And now funds can go, okay, towards the end of the year. And this is kind of the quarter where I 
kind of question it a little bit more than usual just because it's holiday season. I don't I just wonder how many funds are out there actively trading. Maybe they're going to trade in the next couple of days here and then just sign off uh, for the next week or two and go to the Hamptons. So, you know, there's probably some degree of, uh, of kind of window dressing to be had here. And perhaps that's what we're seeing today with Tesla up 1%. But that being said, it's still underperforming based on the market. So, you know, who knows uh, kind of what's to happen here. There is, I think, some weakness as well based on Berlin and Austin, well, mostly Berlin, with how it keeps getting delayed and, and it's not really sounding very confident on an exact date that they're going to open. So perhaps there's some waiting and seeing around there. But I think with the alpha ge- that has been generated by Tesla from the beginning of quarter four to now, I think it's probably de- uh, it's probably a decent enough chance to hypothesize that there's going to be some degree of wind dressing if it hasn't happened already. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I, I mean, it's a lot of these these funds have disclosures that are kind of kind of based on quarter end, and so I think there there's a decent amount of rotation that happens, you know, especially late in the quarter to, you know, kind of show them, give the message that that you want to give. Um, you know, the, the other thing that does tend to happen, uh, especially this time of year, is window is um, tax loss harvesting. You know, we've done a little bit of that within our own fund. Um, you know, just kind of selling some of your your losers to lock in, you know, or, or to realize the losses uh, to, in in order to kind of minimize uh, tax impacts for your investors. So, you know, that could be happening. It probably makes less sense with with Tesla since it's been up so much on the year. Um, but you can imagine, you know, if you if you bought in at a thousand, or for some of the other growth stock names that were up a lot more earlier, like you know, Square and Zoom and, and some of those other ones, yeah, certainly there could be a, a decent amount of just kind of selling. And it, it appears to me, Emmett and I have talked about this a couple of times. It, it seems like there's some cash kind of sitting on the sidelines. So maybe some yeah. people are are kind of harvesting some losses, um, and they're not immediately redeploying that to uh, to other investments. It, it doesn't seem like it's been a sector rotation sort of. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, sell off. It, it's been more just a, a kind of broad market based sell off. Growth stocks yeah. obviously having been hit the hardest, but it's not like you've seen some kind of huge rise in you know consumer products or industrials or something like that. For sure, and I I agree. I think with the new variant and people kind of questioning, okay, are we? Even though I think we're far and away from where we were in March 2020, I think people can't help to have some PTSD investing wise, <laughs> at least around that, right. With how much yeah. uncertainty there was. And it feels like here in Canada, we're, you know, kind of semi locking down again and it sucks to hear and, and all this sort of stuff. So I think you're right. There's a degree of just pool of money that's waiting for like an, a, a huge amount of blood on the streets before they're going to come back. I wonder if the numbers in, in the variants in terms of hospitalization rate with it, with our vaccination uh, population being so high, and it being lower, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we get some more sanity in the market and realize, okay, well, it's not going to be, it's not going to be nearly as bad as let's say even Delta or, you know, 1.0 was. So, but I, I do, I agree that the question I have is uh, when it comes to Tesla and tax loss harvesting, I, I just question how many people have bought into Tesla over a thousand. Like it, yeah. it probably, it probably doesn't have to be a lot. And I think the person or the funds that were buying Tesla with the huge volume that we're seeing a couple, a couple weeks back they're probably diamond handsing the position anyways. So I wonder how much retail would have bought in uh, Tesla above, let's say, even 900 bucks. Yeah, I, probably not a whole lot. I mean, it, it doesn't seem likely that, you know, a bunch of p- folks who, who bought in, say, you know, late October or into November are all of a sudden, you know, selling to you know, yeah. harvest some some or some tax losses. Um, undoubtedly, there's a little bit of that, but it, it doesn't seem like that's, uh, kind of the primary driving factor to me of, of what's going on with this this price movement. Um, Do you think yeah, Elon? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no. That well, yeah. That's a, that's a. We should kind of talk about that. Is he done? That's what everyone wants to know, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I. Yeah. Go ahead. Your theory first. I, I think. I think he is at least for this calendar year. Um, you know, uh, Gary Gary Black's been talking a lot about you know his kind of use of discretionary sales and, and kind of when that uh, lockup period would end. Seems like that was was probably last week, and then he comes out over the weekend giving a specific number of how much he's paying in taxes. I think it was eleven billion dollars. So so to me, it doesn't mm-hmm. seem likely that he would quote that um, specific figure if yeah. he was potentially going to be uh, selling some more shares or at least didn't know the exact number of shares that he was going to sell and at what price. So I, th- I think the most likely explanation is that he's done at least for, you know, calendar 2021. What do you think? I agree. 
that's exactly what I what I thought was, you know, why would he tweet that if he had more to sell? Why not just wait and that's and then say, hey, I've I've sold 12 billion this year. So it does feel like either he's done or he knows when he'll be done. And it'll maybe like today I was seeing some comments on Twitter, people saying it really feels like Elon was selling this morning. And, you know, to a degree, it does feel like it. Whenever we get ripped off the top (laughs) on a green day, I I think everyone's immediate reaction is, okay, Elon is selling. Um, So perhaps uh, I I think he's, you know, if he's not done, he's obviously goes without saying he's, he's really close to, to being done here. I think if I'm Elon, I want to sell everything this fiscal year. First of all, the tax mm-hmm. rates can go up next year. But on top of that, you know, you get kind of bragging rights to be able to say in, you know, 2021, I sold, you know, this much. If you spread it out, you know, laymen, people are, that are going to write articles aren't going to be able to give them that much credit versus yeah. bunching it all together. Which which he's clearly interested in, right? Like he, he's clearly punching back at, you know, Senator Karen. He said, like, so, so Senators Warren and... um <laughs> um uh, sanders you know that have been kind of making him their you know um the poster child for kind of uh the fact that they use the word freeloading is it's like kind of ironic hard to fathom um you know but for what you know right or wrong they're they're criticizing him and so he's got a very uh tangible data point to say what are you talking about i'm the the biggest taxpayer in u.s history you know i've don't or not donated but i paid you know 11 billion to the treasury this year um so what what to you is a is a fair amount? My tax rate's over fifty percent. What's what's the right number to to you? So yeah. it's it seems clear to me that he he is uh, interested in kind of having the the data points to fight back from these these personal attacks. Um, so I, I think it even goes to the, like the fa- the fact that he was selling his houses earlier this year and that sort of thing. Yeah, it yeah I I I really don't I think Elon really takes those kind of narratives personally, um, which, you know, he has every right to do. Uh, I, I consider all of this kind of a sideshow to what's happening with Tesla. Yes, Elon selling does contribute to downward pressure on the stock and all this stuff. But if you zoom out five years, if you zoom out even a couple of years, like this stuff is going to be non-material, I think, um, to the narrative of Tesla and how fast it's going to be growing product wise. So, you know, it's it's kind of dominating whenever we get into these narratives uh, in a shorter term basis and over the summer or over the spring, early summer, it was remember that FSD accident uh, article yeah. after article. Whenever we get into these like shorter term narratives that have, let's say, no longer term uh, effect on the stock like Elon selling or, you know, these kind of political stories going out. I, I always try to remind myself and it's hard because I kind of get into the hole myself, but try to remind myself, like zoom out, think bigger, what's happening with the company. And, and I just can't stop thinking about Austin and Berlin. Like as soon as they're online, as soon as they're producing cars and delivering, whenever that will be, that's going to be, that's going to be the big catalyst. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so last week on, on our, our live stream, we kind of, we, we've been talking about these same topics for a while now. Cause I mean, it's just been, yeah. It's been so dominant, right? I mean, we've had a, a very precipitous fall in a very short amount of time, so it's kind of natural to talk about kind of the short-term movements in that environment, um, yeah. you know. But last week we kind of hit pause on that and and kind of shared our our estimates for um, fourth quarter earnings per share and um, kind of a lot of the uh, operational uh, just catalysts or or just just um, the, I mean the reason that we're investors in the first place it's 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 you know not because of short-term market issues it's it's because of, um, you know, the core operations of, of the company. And I think the story there is is so strong and is going to be so positive um, that I really am just like, I, I'm more and more convinced that we need to uh, kind of um, close our, our, our minds a little bit to the kind of short-term pain. Don't check your account balances on a day-to-day basis and, and more so just kind of focus on um, the operations and, and what you think the company is doing to execute. Um, For sure. And it's it's definitely harder because, you know, if you have options, if you have leaps or if you have stuff that's expiring January, February, March, April, May of next year, you know, you're going to be watching that like a hawk. So, you know, but, you know, you're you're totally right. You got to zoom out in times like this, buy yourself more time. At least that's what I was. That's that's what I'm considering. I've been rolling stuff out if I can uh, to buy myself some more time, especially with the macro markets being so uncertain. You just don't know how long this can drag on. We've seen it in 2021 with how far mm-hmm. uh, Tesla got dr- kind of drug, uh, dug through the mud, um, especially in spring and summer of this year. So, yeah, yeah, it is. But then again, like Q3 came along and, and people had to kind of revalue because they said, okay, you know, Tesla's operations are stronger than we thought they were. They're, you know, more profitable, more cash flow positive. 
Um, yeah. We we give more credibility to their um, demand story. I mean, 12 months ago, nobody thought they'd actually grow, you know, like 50% per year compounded for a decade. And, and now you're seeing like markets starting to give credit for that. A lot of the suppliers are, are starting to do that too now where, you know, people wouldn't um, take Tesla seriously when they said they want like as much nickel as you can provide or, you know, whatever, whatever the, the, you know, supply chain constraint was, Tesla yeah. was just saying, we'll take whatever you can supply us with. Um, and that was kind of a joke, you know, eight, definitely 18 <laughs> months ago uh, and even to a lesser extent, 12 months ago. And now it's, there's just much more uh, credibility. I think more and more people are, are realizing that, okay, you know, EVs are going to dominate and, and Tesla is the best EV, at least, you know, here in the US um, yeah. and, and probably worldwide. So uh, yeah. I, I do think there's a, a bit of a, a shift in narrative. And then the fact that they've been able to do it so profitably, it's it, like that's surprising everyone, yeah. even a lot of the bulls out there. Thirty um, percent, thirty greater than thirty percent gross margins, fourteen percent operate. Like it, it was when the report came out, I almost didn't believe it. But I was like, "This is what we're talking <laughs> about, right?" Um, yeah. So, and 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 to be fair, we're not expecting that same level of gross margin quarter four. Zach said as much on the call that you know don't expect margins to be that high um, in quarter four because of of the ramp of factories and the costs going there. But you know. It, it's, 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 it, you know, again, if you zoom out two more years from now, what are we talking about with gross margin then with a 4680 battery cell production? So, yeah, well, there was that, um, uh, report from, was it Deutsche Bank? I think had Martin Vieca out for uh, a day or two, uh, this yeah. week, they just posted their report this morning. Um, and I think they were talking about 20% operating margins as like the long-term target, um, mm. which is, which is kind of crazy. Mm. Um, so like if that's, True, wow. and I think there's every reason to believe that that could be true based on Tesla's kind of manufacturing pro uh, prowess. And you imagine when you know, like Berlin and Austin are kind of running at full capacity, and you know you're producing Cybertruck, which is like this kind of radical design philosophy, which is going to minimize cost, and you won't need a paint center, and like all all these things. And then you're kind of amortizing OpEx over, you know, three four times the the, the uh, number of vehicles. And yeah, it's like okay, I could see. Um, yeah operating margins being that high and a little tick in, in full self-driving take rate will go a really long way as well to the kind of financial yeah. performance of the company. And that's something that I think many people haven't really thought through, but it's, it's like a huge catalyst if they could, you know, raise that by 5% or 10%, let alone like double it or something. So oh, yeah. um, it's, yeah. I, I, I'm really excited. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> we're talking like tech margins at that point. Like it's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. So I mean, Which we're almost like, talking about that. So they used to get criticized for that. I mean, and that was kind of the way I thought about Tesla as, a, as an investment was, OK, you know, sure, manufacturing's hard, but they'll have um, these tech like margins from full self-driving. Well, what's happened in reality is, is they actually proved that they're better at manufacturing than like the traditional auto OEMs. Which yeah. like nobody was predicting. <laughs> so right. they've got like higher gross margins than they do. Um, and then on top of that, you've got this optionality uh, potential for, for tech-like margins on the software. So it's, um, yep. yeah, in the long term, I think you can't help but be, you know, incredibly optimistic. And um, I only wish I had more dry powder personally. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's there, There's one note actually on the Doja Bank note uh, that I saw, a point number, one of the last points, it was around FSD and how they think one of the bigger catalysts coming up sooner rather than later might be the rollout to all American users for full self-driving. Mm -hmm. And I just had a, had a question about that to you. Cause you know, you talk about Amort you talk about bringing deferred revenue into the equation. Should they bring, uh, should they roll out FST? How much deferred revenue ballpark? Uh, I forget now, how much would they be able to, to bring into their, into their uh, income statement? So it's um, it, my, the, the total F, um, deferred revenue balance is, is uh, several billion dollars, but I've done some estimating on the portion of that that's attributable to just FSD. And I think mm -hmm. that's around $1.7, $1.8 billion. Okay. Um, and so you, you'd have to imagine that that's globally, uh, but most of that because uh, most of the sales and then the higher take rate is in the U.S. Um, so we don't know, we don't have the data for like the exact number, but I would imagine it's probably north of a billion dollars uh, would be recognized if they did roll wow. that out, um, you know, US wide. Um, wow. Now the analysts are probably going to back that out because they say, oh, you know, that's only like a one-time boost and yada, yada, yada. And I like my, my point of view on that is, okay, well, if you're going to back that out, then you need to add it back to historic quarters because it's not like, you know, that was like a, a gain on like a sale of Bitcoin or something like that. Like it's actually um, material. 
material uh, profits that are operate operational in nature. Um, yep. And so if you even if you just count like the um, incremental margin from FSD being 100% recognizable in the US, um, depending on take rate and, and what, like how many units you're talking about, but it, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like uh, $300 million per quarter of incremental margin, um, just if, you know, kind of current steady state FSD was 100% mm. recognizable instead of like 55, 58% um, right now. So that's, mm -hmm. that's another big catalyst that I think most people aren't taking the time to model out appropriately. I, I think there's also something to be said about take rate. Like I think we're assuming take rate would stay flat and then they would be able to, and then, right. But I think yeah. if FSD gets solved and it gets rolled out, I think take rate is obviously going to, is going to skyrocket. People are going to want to subscribe, see if it's worth it for them. Presumably if FSD is out, you'd assume some sort of robo taxi service in some cities might be out by then. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I guess it gets harder and harder to model. And that's why I guess a lot of people just focus on the auto business and just stay true to that and consider everything else. Like some people in the comments are saying like just a lotto option on Tesla. And, and you've kind of, you kind of said the same on, on our previous streams before is you just consider it like options, like right? out of the money options, uh, not robo taxis, mm -hmm. but you know, let's say something more far out there. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there's just so much, right? Yeah, I do. And I do consider, you know, like robo taxis as an option, but I think the, the full self-driving like that, that will be, you don't need robo taxis to recognize that under you know gap accounting so True. um you know that'll probably be in q1 i would guess based on kind of reading between the lines uh, on that deutsche bank report um mm. so if you got all that recognition in in q1 then you know you're gonna have a, a you know kind of crazy margins of course they'll get adjusted out but then going forward you're gonna have um you know that 200 300 400 million dollar plus um fsd yeah, impact just mm -hmm. assuming the take rate stays the same. But if all of a sudden, like, and I've been public about kind of uh, my experiences on on full self driving not being so great, but yeah. I think before they um, do roll that out, um, it will be a lot better than kind of the current uh, state of it. So if if that gets a lot better and then it rolls out and then all of a sudden people everywhere are seeing like, oh my gosh, look at this technology! I can't believe this is like you can actually buy this. Then I could absolutely see take rate going up. And the thing, yeah. and another kind of hidden catalyst that I think many people aren't thinking about is that, you know, full self-driving can just be purchased or subscribed to from the existing fleet of non-takers as well, which is like an order right. of magnitude larger than any one quarter sales. <laughs> so yep. it's, um, there, there are so many ways that the margins could just kind of go to crazy town. It, it's kind of hard to, to fathom. And I think they're realistic. It's not like, oh, moonshot, you know, they could solve cancer and then there'll be like a like $10 trillion company. It's it's like right. there are very reasonable changes that they're working on yeah. that could drastically alter the financial profile of the company. And that's oh, really exciting. Yeah. 100% agreed. Um, well, maybe we should uh, open it up to to questions. Um, unless uh, actually one other topic I wanted to talk about was um, so Berlin and Austin, um, mm. you know, obviously, we, we touched a little bit on um, uh, Berlin being delayed it seems like there's been some, you know, kind of uh, quasi-political issues going on there. Um, but then one of the other surprising things that, which I think came out of the Deutsche Bank report also was, um, just how expensive the Austin plant was. I think it was like a $10 billion, um, price tag that, that was quoted, which is obviously, mm -hmm. uh, quite a large amount of money. But when you see how big the plant is, it kind of makes sense, uh, relative mm -hmm. to what, what you saw, like with Shanghai, for example. So what, what's yeah. your take on kind of the, the timing of those, uh, and, and when we'll get to kind of meaningful, production at, at both facilities well elon tweeted uh saying he wants to do like a grand opening party in austin uh early 2022 so mm -hmm. maybe elon time let's say march okay and so by march you'd assume production or yeah you'd kind of be at the same point where giga berlin was when they did their GigaFest. so mm -hmm. you'd assume that they're they'd be able to, to produce cars. And I guess reports have been coming out that they have been producing cars, uh, production cars, at least from factories. So uh, yes, there is some sort of political risk or agenda there in Berlin. I think I've gotten, I've made a video about it yesterday. I think I, I got a lot of comments with people, you know, throwing shade back at the, at the German red tape. And I guess to a degree that makes sense, but I think still in the long haul, I think it's important to stay focused on getting this factory online and running. I don't think Germany was a mistake, albeit it's taken way longer than people have expected, because I think in the long haul, the brand reputation 
that that having a factory in Germany, having skilled engineers produce cars out of Germany, I think in the long haul is such a boon to Tesla's brand. In the same way that we look at, you know, all these German auto manufacturers today, and there's there's a good group of following of, of people that only trust German made vehicles. So yeah. I think in, in the long haul, it makes sense. It's kind of the mecca of the auto industry uh, in terms of like just high, high brand, uh, you know, high quality cars. And so, yes, I, I think it makes sense to to kind of, I guess, hold your nose to what's kind of happening and, and kind of continue forward, albeit it's very hard considering how far it's been delayed. But again, it's fun. It's funny because now we've kind of come into a situation where we might see both factories come online like at the same time. And should that happen? Like, you know, we talk about Shanghai when it, when it came online and how, how much of a step change that was to Tesla's business. Two factories, two new age factories, albeit coming online at the same time. Talk about exponential growth in volume, right? We we went from five hundred thousand cars last year to looking about about let's say conservatively nine hundred k this year. So it's an eighty percent year over year delivery growth. No mm-hmm. new factories, just Shanghai expanding, uh, and that's it. And so we talk about Giga Berlin and Giga Austin coming online at the same time. Let's say in quarter one, coming online with the uh, with the new age factories. Like I've said, uh, we already had an eighty percent growth rate year over year. I just don't know what to expect. Like, you know, even the bullish targets I look at, I'm like, is that too bullish for 2022? <laughs> and yeah, so it's going to be an amazing, it's going to be amazing quarter one once they do come online. It's just a matter of time. Like it, I've seen some comments as well, people saying, will it never come online? Will this be delayed for years? I highly doubt it. I think there's a lot of political pressure coming at them as well. So I think mm-hmm. it's a two-way street. And I also had this uh, kind of semi-conspiracy theory where, you know, Tesla built all of these, uh, uh, built a lot of this factory on uh, temporary permits, right? They they went ahead, mm-hmm. they said, we're not going to wait for these permits to come in. We're going to start building. I wonder if some of this backlash red tape that they're getting now is kind of to set precedent for anyone else that might come in and say, hey, listen, you're going to do it our way or we're going to en- end up delaying you to, to, to the time it was going to take anyways, just to kind of set a precedent for people coming in. Yeah, no, I, I could see that being the case. You know, when, when you were talking about, um, you know, the, choosing Berlin as being like the like short term, painful, long term, smart approach, yeah. it reminded me a lot of kind of the decision to own their own, um, you know, dealerships, essentially. Mm. So, you know, there was a, like Tesla was not profitable. They were, you know, losing cash flow every year in a like drastic amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and they still chose to go like this much more difficult, you know, uh, path of, of owning their own, um, you know, dealerships. And, and like up until last year, I think you, there wasn't even a, like a, a, a possibility in Michigan where I live to uh, to to take delivery. You had to go to Ohio to to, to take delivery. And like I think all, uh, in Texas, it's still the same way, even though they're building a factory there. Um, wow. So like clearly. Um, Elon and, and Tesla have a have a penchant and an ability to say, okay, yeah, we'll do the harder thing uh, in the near term, and we'll you know absorb the political pressure and um, all, all the pain associated with kind of doing something that hasn't been done before. Um, because in the long run, it's the right thing to do. And now, of course, it's like it's such an advantage, and, and it's pretty much seen uh, even among Tesla critics that, that it's an advantage that they own their own uh, you know dealerships and, and essentially aren't beholden to them don't have to give up margin and you see what ford ford is going through right now where dealerships are marking up maquis and kind of like yeah. you know hurting the customer relationship that way yeah um so yeah i, I think you could definitely be right that the, the same sort of mindset is at work here in in, in berlin with with uh kind of being willing to absorb a, a, an ungodly amount of political pressure <laughs> to uh yeah. do what they think is, is the right thing there in the end and and we and go, going back to your original point about five or ten billion or you know ten billion in this case for Austin to cost, it, it's 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 encouraging to see how fast Tesla paid back their Shanghai loans and mm-hmm. quite literally from the cash that they generated from that plant within the within the following year after, and when we talk about those factories ramping, I guess a blessing in disguise might be the fact that they've been sitting ready to produce for so long. Maybe the just the speed of what they're going to ramp at is going to be a lot faster than even Shanghai would have because Shanghai came online, let's say before it was fully run, uh, you know, fully done and ready to, you know, be fully optimized for. Whereas Berlin has been kind of producing these production cars internally. I think Sawyer Merritt posted that they have 
was it like 200 or something model wise, or maybe it was 25. I'm totally off here, but, (laughs) but, but there was, it was more than a couple of dozen, at least uh, model wise Mm -hmm. that they have produced in Berlin. Uh, So perhaps there's the blessing disguises that people, Wall Street is still going to price in these factories taking a long time to ramp. Whereas when these factories are sitting here and there's some employees optimizing, uh, optimizing these lines, perhaps they, once they do come online, they, they ramp way quicker than Shanghai had, which I guess. Yeah. Massive. Yeah, it's it's possible, and I think even the the gross margin impact I don't think is going to be that dramatic, um, especially for Q4. Um, you know, the the depreciation and amortization is probably going to be the the biggest hit, and um, that doesn't start until um, you know you're actually producing production versions of the vehicle. So even if they were starting, let's say uh, today, they they started kind of uh, they said, all right, the factory is online. It's gone from like work in progress to you know pp and e uh, and the, the accounting entry right you don't depreciate for the whole quarter uh it's only that that those couple days so uh of course there will be some gross margin pressure out of those but i don't think it's going to be you know crazy or insurmountable I, I remember there were quite a few people thinking in in 2019 when when shanghai was launching that it was just going to be like this preposterous drag on on earnings because they were going to have to you know like mm. depreciate the whole factory in five years and it's like that's not right. what we saw of course you know they were not as efficient as fremont off the bat but um it was not like some like uh, catastrophic drag on, on earnings as they got that launch so yeah, yeah for sure we'll see and 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 i think moreover than even the counting the depreciation costs that might come on is i think wall street is trying to see okay if tesla i i think this is kind of like the next big thing that they're waiting to see is yes tesla uh, you know made a factory in Shanghai and, and and got it producing and ramped up really quick. I think mm-hmm. that, I think Wall Street is going, okay, we've priced that in. And now Wall Street's thinking, okay, this is a new age factory. Both of these are new age factories, new production lines for, for batteries. If and when Tesla, I think it's when, when Tesla starts producing and churning these vehicles out like no tomorrow, that's when I think Wall Street will go, okay, now all of a sudden it's just a cookie cutter model. If Tesla can take these same factories, Berlin or Austin speaking, and just, I guess Elon has said until 2023, they're not even going to think about it. But in the future, when you talk about production capabilities, those are the ones that are going to be scaled more than the Shanghai ones. And so as we move forward, I think that's the last thing that Wall Street is is trying to, because I think execution risk is the biggest mm-hmm. for Tesla. I, I think, you know, we talk about technology, they have the technology, they have the patents, not, although they're open sourced. You know, I think execution is the big thing that Wall Street is waiting to see on. And yes, you can see drones and photography and everything getting built on the factories and you can see the scale that they're being produced. And as us Tesla bulls, we love looking at that sort of stuff because it kind of feeds into our, hey, this is going to happen very, very soon. But I think Wall Street is trying to hold back and tamper back expectations until they start seeing cars being put out. Yeah, I think you're right. So as you were talking, I just went and looked at what the what they're estimating for earnings next year. It's only $8.22 per share, which is like, so per quarter, that'd be an average of uh, $2.05, which is lower than I'm expecting for Q4 even. So um, yeah. I think you're right that Wall Street's just saying, no, we're, we're not going to give you any credit whatsoever uh, yeah. for those things. When we believe that you're capable of executing, then we'll raise our, our earnings estimates. And so when that yeah. happens, they're going to have to raise their price targets. Um, and, and that just you're going to contribute to this kind of a cascading uh, string of catalysts, I think, where, you know, you, you can't assume that Tesla's going to trade it like if you if you think, I don't know, just throwing a, a number in the air, let's say. You, you think Tesla's going to do earnings per share of like 12, uh-huh. uh, $12 next year. Um, then at a PE of 100, tw- um, it, they should be around $1,200 per share, like conservatively, mm-hmm. I, I would say. Um, yeah. And so I think you're going to see the same thing happened in, in um, you know, 2020, where like there was just like this race of analysts kind of raising price targets and um, raising earnings estimates just because like they had to. Um, it seems like a very similar setup right now to me. Right. Yeah. Is that, it's that like step change into earnings per share. Um, yeah. And w- by the yeah. way, what's your projection for quarter for earnings per share? Um, I think it was like 220. Uh, I want to say, I don't remember off the top of my head. Actually, I've got it here. Okay. Um, yes. Okay. So 232. Um, possible I changed something in here since we went over the live stream last week, but that, that's what I have in here right now, um, okay. which is a lot higher than the Wall Street consensus of, where is it here? A dollar ninety-two. Oh, yeah. Okay, gotcha. And that takes into account uh, some of the transfer and depreciation costs of the new factories? Yep, a little bit. Uh, I don't think that's, like I was saying, I don't think that's going to be a huge um, 
impact. Um, yeah, I think that's going to be more of a drag on Q1 rather than Q4 personally. Gotcha. Um, I think on the Q3 call, I think they were expecting those factories would have launched a little bit earlier. Um, but I think the fact that they're delayed, of course, you're going to have some personnel costs and, and that sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. It's not like you don't hire anybody until like day one of production. So, of course, you'll you'll have a bit of that. But um, I think Martin even said that on the Deutsche Bank report that the price increases that they have flowing through in Q4 are going to be greater than, you know, the materials increases. So he's basically yeah. saying if you read between the lines there that gross margins are improving. Well, maybe yeah. if you back out some personnel costs for and startup costs for Berlin and Austin, maybe that cancels it out. But my sense is that the the price increases are going to more than offset that because they've had huge mm -hmm. price increases and such a backlog of, of orders that um, mm -hmm. those like the price increases from like three months ago uh, didn't hit in Q3. Um, they're going to hit in, in Q4. Um, so I, I yeah. think I think we're going to have another positive um, jump in, in automotive gross margin this quarter. Uh, I think yeah. it'll drop in Q1, but I, I think we're going to actually okay. see an increase in Q4. Gotcha. Yep. Hey, that's that's music to my ears. So <laughs> it's not the gospel, but uh, it's it, yeah. I, I hope it happens, and I, I think it's reasonable. Um, why don't Why don't we open it up to two questions now? I know there's a, I've seen a lot of comments come in, so uh, Alec, if you wouldn't mind, uh, let's let's launch a question here. All right, from Dan Mack. Some growth stocks have been beaten almost into value stocks. Arc favorite 3D printer NNDM cash cash value is five dollars plus, but trades around four dollars. Uh, Teladoc is near its book value. Is the Good Soil team looking for value? Um, so, yeah, do you have any thoughts on that, Yashu? I'll, I'll share my thoughts as well. But no, I don't. I don't. I don't really follow those stocks, to be quite honest, very in depth. Yeah, so I don't. I don't follow those particular stocks um, very closely either. Um, I'll tell you from the the Good Soil. We've we've said this a couple times. Um, you know, we're, I would say, somewhat bandwidth constrained, uh, but we also want to have very high concentration in names that we we feel we know kind of inside and out very well. Um, and the the current portfolio that we have, I think, falls somewhat into that kind of, you know, growth stocks beaten into value stocks territory. Um, you know, Lemonade's been, you know, hit real hard. Um, Rocket Lab's down from, from its highs pretty significantly. Tesla's obviously down quite a bit from now. And for all the reasons we were just you know, in the last 45 minutes that we were talking about, we think there's a, a huge amount of upside potential from here. Um, so I, I agree with this trend in general. Um, I was just looking um, at like the the darling stocks from last year, like, you know, Zoom and Peloton, and those yeah. are down like over 50%, well over 50%, I believe, Yeah, for, from their highs. Um, so I, I don't, I, I, I haven't been able to research every one of these companies you know, to, to the extent where I've got, you know, confidence and cash to, you know, you know put into them. Um, just, you know, I, I'd rather kind of spend my time and, and uh, put the chips in a, in a couple highly concentrated bets that, that we feel we have more conviction on. But I think the thesis holds. All right, from Heinrich von Stahl. What do you think would be the impact of a 1% increase in interest rates uh, would have on Tesla? Um, I'm not sure if that means macro interest rates or like Tesla's balance, like, like Tesla's debt. I, I would presume it means macro um, interest rates. Um, is that how you read the question, Yashu? Yeah, I think so. So what do you think on, on, on that? I... 1% is massive, right? That's one of those probably four rate hikes priced in 25 basis points each. Um, mm -hmm. I think going thesis is about three, I think for next year is what um, what they're saying. 1% uh, increase in, in interest rates would definitely dampen valuations for sure. The question is almost how much of that is being priced in given that we know that there's likely some interest rate hikes to come already. And so... If you're talking about discount value and discount rates, um, I think a one percent. Let's say if you just did a if you did a nominal one percent increase, and I have to check my math on this, but if you did, you know, till 2025 is kind of where I modeled to stuff. If you did a one percent increase in discount rate back from 2025 till today, that's probably like a four a four percent discount multiple. Uh, so you know, let's say four percent hit off of cash coming from 2025. So I think it'd be decent for sure. The question is, uh, I think the better question is, do we see a 1% increase, uh, increase, uh, increase in interest rates coming up? 
So, I mean, that's the question. That's the million dollar question with the rate hikes that are going to come next year. So actually, this question reminded me of a, of a tweet from Gary Black that I saw uh, last week. So he shared a part, a chart from empirical research partners uh, showing data back to 1952, which was a relationship between 10-year treasuries and the P-E ratio of the S&P 500. Um, and so basically what he was showing here is that for an every uh, one percentage point rise in the 10-year, P-E would fall by 0.87 points. Mm. Um, so he he ran the math on that and basically said, you know, uh, a rise from one and a half percent to two and a half percent would uh, would cause an approximate four and a half percent decline in the market. So yeah. um, that I think is a pretty reasonable math. Now for a growth stock like like Tesla, where you've got a higher beta, um, I don't know what Tesla's beta is, maybe 1.5 or something like that. So I don't know, call it a 7% drop uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, to, like to me, that's more than priced in already. And, and And I think is dwarfed by kind of the operational catalyst coming next year that we were kind of talking about. So um, yeah, I, I think the the impact is like we've seen some days where it rises or falls seven percent. <laughs> so yeah. Like, like yeah. sure, maybe the macro environment. Of course, it, it has an impact, but uh, I, I kind of get the sense that like the sky is not going to fall if it goes to two and a half percent, or like even three three and a half percent would be, you know, pretty pretty terrible. But like that's <laughs> noise. I think uh, when you look at all the uh, like the balance of, of all the the stuff that's happening with the stock. All right. Age A says, can you guys talk about forward PE and peg ratio for Tesla at this time and what analysts need to see in order to position their price targets accurately? Hmm. Um, so I've got some thoughts on that, Yashu, but what about what about you? You go ahead first. You're the expert All right. on this. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think we, we talked a little bit about this already where, you know, I think you, you can't talk about PE ratios unless you have a pretty good you know, E estimate, right? So you need to have the earnings and, and these are usually done on a forward basis. So uh, I think my main contention is that the, um, you know, the forward earnings estimates of like $8 and, and change are, you know, way too low for next year. So if you were to leave the PE ratio and the peg ratio unchanged and um, essentially just say, okay, you know, that it should be, you know, $12 rather than, um, you know, eight, then you've got a 50% increase essentially in your implied share price, um, assuming that that you don't change the PE or the peg. So hmm. you know if that's the case, and you know just to make the math easy, Tesla's at a thousand, um, then Tesla should be at fifteen hundred dollars. Now it's not quite that simple because uh, if you're going to have that much growth next year, there's there's a, a case to be made that um, you should be using a lower growth rate going forward. So that's where the peg ratio is is a is a good indication. Um, so, you know, the, if, if you think there's going to be, you know, 50% earnings growth and the PE is um, 100, then um, you've got a, a peg of two, I believe. Um, so that's, I, I don't know, I, I, I don't, I tend not to use peg like as much as Gary Black does, because um, I, you know, I like to go a couple of years out and, and look at things that yeah. way. Um, but yeah, I, I think what's going to happen is, is what we were saying earlier, where, you know, the E part of that whole equation is going to rise. And then that will, even, even in a deteriorating macro environment, I think that's going to force some upward price pressure unless it's like, you know, catastrophic macro market. For sure. I, I, I take more of a basic approach mostly because I'm not as educated as you are on this stuff. I look at 2025 as kind of like going standing point of, okay, how far can we project for deliveries? I think 2030, some people do 2030 and that's fair enough, but I just find 2030, too many variables, especially in that last five mm -hmm. years from 2025 to 2030 for me not to be able to accurately project. And then when it comes to 2022, where I see a lot of people do fair enough, I think we have the most information about the next fiscal year. I just find it too short, short term for me. So 2025, mm -hmm. I kind of consider Tesla at the 50% CAGR to get 4.5 million vehicles delivered ish mm -hmm. in 2025. And around, I think my model is like a 50,000 average selling price, which is debatable, I know, uh, and about a 20% operating margin at that, or that 20% margin on that gets us to about, I think, 40, um, 40 or 45 bucks earnings per share in 2025. And if you mm -hmm. apply, you know, again, rudimentary, because I'm not, I'm not that in depth on this sort of stuff. If you apply, let's say a 50% PE ratio in 2025 to that. That gets us to about two grand, two point five grand, depending on your discount, mm -hmm. or two, 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 depending on your valuation. And if you discount that back, I think that gets you to 
14 between 1500 1600 ish bucks and so up until we hit close to that i'm I don't really need to revisit a lot of this stuff personally yeah, speaking yeah. because it's just, you know, we're, we're, we're 60% off of that more than that at this point. And so when we were getting to the 1300s, you know, then I was like, okay, let's start modeling more of this stuff out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right? But yeah, even yeah. then that's just the auto business. We're not talking about energy. Right. We're not talking about dojo. We're not talking about FSD, just the auto side of the business. So that's kind of the working model that as someone that is not in depth into this as much as I probably should be just keeps a loose kind of book on it. And then as, as we kind of approach that and get tighter and tighter, I think then it makes more sense for me to, to look into it deeper. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, you know, earnings and, and kind of the way that I think about things from a modeling perspective, but it, you obviously look a lot at kind of technicals and, and, you know, kind of market data, what are you seeing from there that, you know, maybe someone who's not as, as uh, you know, experienced in it that as, as you are, uh, such as myself, uh, might not be seeing? Are, are there any kind of indicators that, that you're getting from from looking at that data that, that give you some insights in either short term or long term? Yeah, I mean, with technical analysis, I always say like it's it's almost always short term. Yes, you can draw technicals and, and draw, you know, longer term trends to say what's going to, you know, if it's fitting into this, it's form fitting into this, into this model. Uh, I think Tesla right now speaking is pretty much sitting and pretty much rebounded right off of its hundred day moving average today of, mm-hmm. of 880. Um, and so we're, we're finding demand there sitting there. The question is if it breaks below the hundred day is kind of the concerning thing to watch is to see okay as we end the year if tesla breaks past 100 day then we're talking about it revisiting 800s upper 700s again at just Mm -hmm. the demand speaking level so uh, again uh, that's why i think around this level and yes in in march and in april and and may of this year we did see weakness back down to the 200 day but i think what's different this time around mixing technicals with fundamentals is that we didn't have two new gigas coming out within yeah. within 30, maybe 30 or 30-ish days of from when this correction is happening. So, you know, those are kind of the levels that I'm watching is, is 880 uh, now. Mm-hmm. And a break below that and a close below that, then we're kind of talking into 800, low 800 territories again. And and as we're talking, we're we're rising up to you know nine eighteen. Yeah. So we're getting some good juju now. Appreciate there you coming go. on the channel. All right, let's go <laughs> yeah. to the, the, the next question, Alec. All right. Uh, Melody of 1974 asks, if Berlin and Austin do get production ramp by end of 2022, do you see vehicle prices go down in 2023? I think... What do you think, Yashio? I I think Elon has said, Zach has said as much that, you know, once margin starts to really skyrocket, I think instead of optimizing for profit, they're going to bring down ASP. Now, the question... Mm -hmm. Like this is kind of a, a, a it's a really awesome question because I've, I think about it often where, you know, we we project for these margins, 20 percent, let's say 2025. What's to say that Tesla just doesn't give back the cost and lower the margin and just grow delivery count? You know, potentially that's one way that they can go with their business. So it's a good question. The You know, with Austin, generally speaking, I guess the question is, does the EV uh, tax rebate get passed? And if it does. Then even if prices go down, those that's not technically coming out of Tesla's pocket. Um, I think when Tesla, I think what Tesla is careful to probably do is if the Model Three is, I'm not sure in US in, in US dollars, how much is it, Matt? A, a Model Three extended range. Uh, I haven't looked rate, uh, lately, but I think it's like okay. around forty-seven something in that neighborhood. Um, wow. Okay. So no, on average, I mean, it's not that's not the entry price. That's the okay. I think that's like the average. I don't know. I, maybe I should look that up. It's okay. I, I got it here. Um, right. I, I think what Tesla probably is careful to do is to not with the $8,000 rebate, bring the cost close enough. And I see it here, it's 39, uh, let's call it 40. Mm-hmm. So with the rebate, get it to 32. I think they're going to be careful not to cannibalize perhaps their $25,000 model that is eventually going to be coming out. So I think they're trying to create this discrepancy between product uh, price points at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and so now with the EV rebate not being passed, the big question I have as well with prices is that do we see prices come back down? Because was that Tesla just pricing in the EV credit? And then now that it's not there, do we see a climbing of that back down? So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So um, Brett Winton from Ark Invest had this tweet like two years ago that has just been like burned in my memory ever since. Um, he, you remember when Bloomberg did that like really extensive 
uh, owner's survey of like 5,000 Model 3s uh, right. a couple of years ago. Um, he collected a lot of the data in there and uh, calculated the net promoter score, which is, you know, basically how viral are these products, like how enthusiastic are owners about marketing them. And essentially, like the Model 3 was off the charts in terms of like how uh, active promoters, owners uh, became. So it was like higher, significantly higher than the iPhone back in, you know, 2007, uh, which is like, you know, kind of crazy to think about. So, you know, I had that in the back of my mind and saying, okay, if that's true and if that holds over time, um, mm -hmm. then like the more Teslas Tesla sells, then the more Teslas Tesla should sell. Um, and, and I, like, I think that's been happening. So even you've seen in an environment where, you know, production has ramped like, quite drastically over the last two years, um, even, even though that supply has been so much higher, your backlogs, you know, measured in months are higher than they've ever been. Um, mm. so I, I, th I think that the dynamic, my understanding, uh, of j just kind of what's going on here is that that's the dynamic kind of playing out that, you know, as awareness is, um, you know, continuing to, to rise just from like, I remember when I got my model Y, like almost nobody that I interact with had ever, you know, driven in a Tesla really knew anything about them. And yeah. then like my brother ordered one after that, uh, he had a different car on order that he switched his order to, to a Tesla. A lot of other people are just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Mm -hmm. um, so I think what you're seeing is now like more and more people are doing that. And so there's just kind of kind of a, a rise in awareness. So if that trend continues to hold, then um, I think that that backlog would uh, maintain or potentially even extend even longer than, than what we've seen. So to me, the, the, that's the most important metric to watch as a gauge of demand is backlog at this point. Because um, yeah. if backlog stays the same or starts shrinking, uh, then that will give you an indication that I think price decreases are going to be needed to um, kind of sustain demand uh, going forward. Gotcha. Interesting. So you so and I think the backlog in that Deutsche Bank report was 1.3 years or something. <clears throat> pardon me for the model uh, S and X, and it was like mm -hmm. eight months or six or seven eight. Yeah, months I think it was like six months for six for months. Three and one. Yeah. For, for the three and Y. So you, you yeah. like how far do you think that backlog would have to come down for us to start seeing price uh, decreases again? Like, uh, you know, I think, I mean, three months is still a relatively long time. Um, mm -hmm. But if it if it drops to like, you know, two months or something like that, then that would have me maybe a little bit concerned. Because I think you've seen this in China to a certain extent where, you know, like the, the there hasn't really been a backlog to speak of in China. Uh, but in Europe, it's been crazy. It's been like over a year. Um, so for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to be resonating in the same way in China uh, as it is in, you know, like the US and Europe. Uh, so I think it's important to kind of be realistic about that. So you could imagine there's a scenario where, um, you know, Berlin ramps and and then you've got Austin, of course, ramping in the U.S. And so maybe there is some kind of point where there there's a natural equilibrium between, you know, supply and demand at, at the at the current price point. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe they do have to start decreasing it. But I think when they get to that point, if it is, say, three months of, of kind of average global uh, lead time, um, then maybe you start to decrease the price and, and that will, mm. I don't know, extend it to four months or something like that, which is still kind of ample. Yeah. Um, but that, that's what I would, I would, I think we should be watching right now. Sweet. Um, let's do maybe one more question, uh, and then we can, we can wrap it up for this week. All right. Martin Muldoon says, uh, would you prefer the EV tax credit go through or not? Seems like legacy auto desperately needs it. Uh, Tesla's, by the way, Tesla's flying on that news. Uh, 9.30, uh, pretty much sitting on Tesla at the moment. So quite the rise from our show. Wow. <laughs> um, I so think something similar I, happened last time I came on your channel. It was just it like did. a rocket ship throughout the day. So we, we should get together more often. <laughs> we should do it. Yeah, we should keep streaming until this stops. Um, would, would I prefer if the EV tax credit went through? Yes, I, I think I would, Martin, because I, I mean, yes, it's Okay, business-wise, business strategy-wise, speaking for Tesla, I think it's preferential for them if this credit if this credit doesn't go through, just for the sheer fact that they're the, probably the only EV uh, provider that can make uh, a car or EV cars at cost or uh, more than cost and, and, and make a profit, and not just at cost or less than. Uh, but I care about the EV industry. I think greater than because I think one plus one equals three in this industry. And I think in 10 years time, we want competition pushing Tesla. We want more entrants into the market. So I think, is it 
and again, as a as I'm not American, so I can't speak to the tax consequences that you guys might have based on this EV tax credit. So I'm not I'm not one to 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 you know pontificate on it too too much. But at the end of the day, I think whatever pushes electronic vehicles, electric vehicles to 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 proliferate in the market, I think is better for the climate, for the world, and just a better uh, consumer experience. So. Do I want it to get passed through? Yes. Does it, Legacy Auto desperately need it? I think so. And that's why I think we'll probably have some sort of news on that in quarter one. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking for myself, I'm, I'm, I'm really torn on this, to be honest with you. Um, you know, so I'm a, I'm a Michigander. So I've got, actually got a lot of, um, hmm. almost all of my friends and family actually work in the auto industry. So I, I kind of selfishly you know want them to not lose their jobs and you know yeah. like my whole community not to like fall into ruin uh but i do think that there's a reasonable chance that that happens um if, if they don't you know drastically change their business models um I, so i think i you know if, if if i could vote on the ev tax bill going through as like a standalone um item i would say absolutely i, I support that um, but when it gets kind of mixed up with the, you know, the, like a, a broader multi-trillion dollar package after we've already passed several multi-trillion dollar packages and we're running, you know, 70% deficits and we've got, you know, debt at 120% of GDP or whatever it is right now. Um, yeah. You know, I think these are structural issues that we are not talking about that we don't um, really have a plan to, to tackle and that are only going to get um more aggravated uh just just with kind of uh, current trajectory of, of spending so as like a relatively fiscal conservative I, I would prefer that you know they not do things like this but at the same yeah. time I, I do think that you know this this one credit does have merit and and i would support it and i think it's it's you know the goods of the tax credit in general outweigh the, the bads on a standalone basis i think makes so, sense yeah yeah, but I don't know. I I won't be heartbroken if it doesn't get passed, and and I won't be um, heartbroken if if it if the whole you know B B bill, B bill does get passed because it you know it's like anything that you know there's trade offs. It's not like there's yeah. you know one perfect answer that's going to solve everything and make your stocks go up and make the deficit go away. That's not not generally how it works. For sure, and I think I I, I guess for. Uh, you know, you almost want some of these automakers to succeed just with EVs because if they can yeah. see the light and they can see like, look, we can do good and we can also make these amazing cars, debatable if they're amazing, but you know, th at least <laughs> at, at least they can at least they can move forward. And I think that's better for everyone rather yeah. than just the old. I think Elon probably considers probably a similar strategy where he you know he open sources all the patents and he's welcome. Yeah people to come by and, 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 and to look at the tech and, you know, uh, Herbert Deese is an example. And so I think it's better for the world because in a world, because we've already seen the EV killed once by GM. We, like we don't, we don't need to, and, and debatably twice with the bolt, but we don't want to see it. <laughs> we don't want to see a world again, right. Where at the end of the day, when, you know, we, we can bring everyone up and forward rather than to potentially kill yeah. the market. Yeah. So, you know, I, th I think it's important to, to remember, like even Elon says, like Tesla can't do this alone. Um, I mean, there there's going to be a second place and a third place in in the EV market, and, and probably a fourth, fifth, seventh place. Um, so there's there's ample yeah. room for whether it's startups like you know Rivian or or you know other companies out of China. There's there's a lot of them doing really well there. Uh, or if it's the legacy players you know, like Ford and GM converting and and you know successfully playing the game. Um, either way, I think we want you know, more EVs to be sold and, and less, you know, ICE vehicles. And, and it's kind of an inevitable outcome anyway. So what can we do to kind of accelerate that transition? I think that's the, the thing we need to be focusing on. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, hey, thanks everyone for watching. Thank you so much, Yashu, for uh, for guest hosting with us uh, again here this week. Um, what, what are we at now? 9.32 last I saw. So some real good yeah. Yeah, real good actually, juju this week. You yeah, know, we had, about thirty dollars on the on the in the hour or so that we've been talking. Crazy, crazy, and we actually hit nine thirty six sixty on the stream. So there's that. Wow, did we? Amazing time. Yeah, you, we should have had a donate button or something like that. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, thanks so much for watching. Um, I think Emmett's gonna be back with us next week, so we'll get back to our our uh, normal live stream. But thanks again, Yashu, for joining, and thanks everyone for watching and listening on uh, on Twitter Spaces. Right Take on. Care. Thanks for having me, man. Take care. Yeah.